would uh, I would bring out your treasures in it. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. I haven't even started preaching, and already folks are upset. It's that's a bad sign. Oh, it's not working. Um, so this week, or actually not this week, uh, uh, a while ago, I got a uh, a fancy coffee maker. Um, I am a person of of many vices, and uh, in the process of following following Jesus and, and uh, being remade by the Spirit, most of my vices have gone away. Um, most of my big indulgences are gone, and I'm down to I'm down to one. I have one vice left, and it's the only one, and I'm fighting to keep it. Um, but I I am a coffee drinker, and and I I'm beyond just a coffee drinker. I'm I'm dependent, like. I, I, and, and in a way that only like real coffee drinkers understand, right? Like if I don't have my cup first thing in the morning, it's, it's, it's a problem. If I don't, you know, if I don't have, and I, I've cut back to two. I mean, some people cut their cigarettes back to two, you know, or what have you. I'm, I'm down to two cups of coffee a day some days. Other days it's a little more like 30. And I'm sure if you average it out, it's close. Probably. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have one of these coffee makers, and, and recently the coolest thing in the world, in my little world, has happened. Um, I, have, I have a Keurig, and uh, my daughter would watch me operate this thing every day, and she has discovered the joy of operating a coffee machine. And, and beyond that, if I sleep late, she has discovered the great joy of bringing me coffee in bed. I know, it's fantastic. I mean, that is like, to me, that is parenting win. I should retire now and, like, she's five. It's not going to last long. Um, <laughs> but, like, like for now, if I sleep late enough, and she keeps track of the stock. Like, she she uh, stopped me the other day in the grocery store. Dad, we're out of coffee creamer. Be sure that we, you know, and she knows. I mean, that is, like, and, and it's beginning to extend into other areas. I was watching TV the other day, and she said, Dad, you look tired. Do you want me to get you a cup of coffee? <laughs> um, and it is an easy thing for her to do at this point. It is something she loves doing, right? Um, other things that she's taken on, like chores. Like I, every morning it's time to feed the dog. She has a, a fit. Ah, I hate feeding the dog. Why can't somebody else do it? Why can't they feed themselves? Why can't, you know, but like, like at this point, because the dogs are different than me, I hope. More mature sometimes, probably cleaner. Um, but right now, my daughter is in this spot where she has discovered something that she can do to serve me, right, that she loves doing, and she loves doing it, I don't think, just because she's operating the coffee machine, because it's me, I'm her dad, right? I'm the guy who sits and reads her stories at night, I take her out on daddy-daughter dates, and this is something she's doing for me, because she loves me, right? I hope that's why. I, my wife isn't yelling anything from the back. Um, and, and if eventually we reach a point where she doesn't want to do it anymore, I won't be able to stand up and demand that she bring me coffee in bed. I could. <laughs> but, you know, you should never make people mad who handle your food and drink. It's important. Um, this idea of service, I, I'm starting here because I, I, my daughter has, has taught me an important lesson. And as we kind of dive in, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about serving today. We're... We're, uh, the series we're doing is on the gospel according to Jesus. And, and the reason we're doing this is, um, and some of y'all have heard this, some of y'all are here for the you know, first time in this series, um, the gospel itself is the idea that um, 
we all sin, right? Everybody in the room. Like, there's nobody here who doesn't sin. If you're perfect, you may be in the wrong building. Um, we all sin. We all fall short of God's standard. We all struggle. And God sent his son to live it perfect, to do it ideally, to, to fulfill all of the obligations. And then as a perfect person, he took punishment for the bad things we do. That is the gospel. All I have to do is have faith in Jesus that he died for me and I'm forgiven. That is it. That is the fullness of the gospel. I am, it is this gift that God gives me, um, a gift of, of, of new life, of forgiveness. And there is nothing I can do to earn it. Like if, if, if I get in my head that I can work hard enough or serve enough people or give enough money or do whatever, like in order to get God to love me, that is, that's a negation of the gospel actually. Like the gospel is, Faith in Jesus brings me forgiveness, God's grace, and I'm saved. And so if you hear anything else from me today, that is the core of the gospel. However, over time, there's this way like that the gospel's gotten confused, and people have started teaching it in funny ways. And, and we've gotten to the point where, in a lot of places, in a lot of ways, we talk about the gospel as though faith and grace is the end. So I have faith in Jesus, I'm forgiven, and that's the end of the conversation. I'm going to go rob a liquor store now, but I'm forgiven. That's not really how it works, right? Um, we are saved for the purpose of following Jesus. And actually, if you look at Jesus' words, which is what we're doing, we're looking at the gospel, like Jesus' teachings on how we're saved and how we're drawn into God's presence. Um, and so this whole series has been... The gospel according to Jesus. Like, what is Jesus' words on this? We began with sort of a summary. The first week we kind of dug into the material of it. It was the idea that we need to repent and return to him. Like, when we have sin, like, if we're not sorry for it, if we're not turning around and going the other way, which is what repentance means, like, we're, like, that, that's the beginning. We have to follow him. Right? That means, like, that's last week we talked about this idea that we actually have to follow Jesus. Like, we have to get up and move from where we're at and follow, like, after him and follow his teachings and, like, commit our lives in that direction. We're saved for the purpose of following Jesus. We're not saved so we can indulge in sin. We're not saved so we can, you know, look down on other people and say, hey, I'm better than you. Look at me. I'm you know, follower of Jesus. We're saved for the purpose of following Jesus. And as we kind of dive into it today, we're going to talk about service. Um, because this is very central to what Jesus said. And I'm going to break my pattern. Instead of um, starting with Jesus' words on the matter, I'm going to go to Paul. Because Paul does a really good job of summarizing things sometimes. This is from Philippians 2. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can follow along in your Bible or you can read it on the screen. I like having the paper Bible in my hands personally. Um, Philippians 2, 1 to 8. So Paul is writing this letter. He says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection from sympathy, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and in, and of one mind. What Paul is doing here is this is a church that has a lot of conflict, and he starts out with a sort of... Um, rhetorical question you know this if there's any encouragement if there's any joy if there's any this if there's any that and the implied answer is yes there is right and so he's saying listen since you guys have all of this comfort and all this joy and all this stuff that comes from following jesus like like being saved by his grace be belonging to him since you have affection you have sympathy you have all of these things for me paul says make my joy complete um, and since it's a yes, he's saying, listen, this is what I want you to do. And if you do this, it'll make my joy complete by being of the same mind. So like stand together and think in the same way, 
love each other and love, you know, love according to Christ, like, like love in the same way. Be in harmony with each other and of one mind. So he says, listen, guys, stand together, do stuff together, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count yourselves, count others, count yourselves, I would have really changed the meaning, count others more significant than yourselves, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul says, listen, stand together, be humble, um, be of the same mindset, love each other, love, I mean, overflowing with love, and then um, don't put yourself on the pedestal. Don't stand above and say, hey, I got it nailed down, I'm better than all of you. My needs and wants are more important than your needs and wants. Right? Like, we cannot make ourselves the center of the universe. Paul says, you know, look at others as though their needs, as though they are better than yourselves. Like, this is the attitude we have because, and here's the crux of it, um, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, we could summarize this sentence right here, and this is where we're going, right? Paul says, take the same mind and attitude that Jesus had. Okay? Imitate in your mind and heart and attitude the mind and heart and attitude of Jesus. So you look at the folks around you, and when you look at the folks around you, do it in the same way that Jesus did. And you, you know, like he's sort of backing into the argument, which is funny. He says, have the same mindset as each other. Be unified in the way you love. Be unified in the way you think. But all of that is the same as Jesus is, right? Imitate the way that Jesus thought and felt and acted like, like, this is what you need to be, and this is kind of this is called the Song of Christ. is is generally the way it's referred to in in uh, commentaries and by different like church leaders in history. It's it's sort of this early hymn, and so Paul like right in the middle breaks into song, and he says, um, "Which is yours in Christ Jesus? Have the same attitude. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, this is the opposite of the human attitude. Watch this. He says, Jesus was God. He was in the same form, shape, substance, everything is God. But he didn't, like, try and grab a hold of that and say, hey, look, I'm God. Um, and actually, heck, Nathan left, so I can't pick on him too much. Um, we were talking a little bit this morning about the elections, and there's almost this attitude of, like, you know, worship, obey, serve, like this, this kind of thing that's out there, like as though anyone, you know, like, like anyone in, in the world around us, anyone around us, we don't really see this attitude. We see the, you know, do things my way, serve me, worship me, look at how I can save you, look at how I can rescue you, look at how I can make everything better. And in the end, like this is the opposite of the way Christ viewed it. Christ was God and he never stood up and said, hey, I'm God, worship me. Like, he didn't take this attitude of, I will grab the high ring and, and, you know, you guys will fall before me. People did because he was God, right? Um, but he didn't take that attitude. In fact, um, he didn't see it as a thing to be grasped, as a thing to be taken for himself. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. When he talks about Paul saying here, look, he became obedient. What this is about is um, God deemed that this was the way that we would be saved, right? Like we are saved by the cross. And so Jesus obediently went to the cross. In the ancient world, if you were crucified, the Jewish people believed that that was a sign God hated you. Everybody with me? Like um, it's in Isaiah, I think I might be wrong on this one. 
Um, you know, curses any man who's killed by being hung from a tree. Like it, the, the Jewish people look and they're like, anybody who dies crucified, and a lot of people died crucified in that era, like this is a sign God hates you. And so like for Jesus to have gone and taken the most humiliating, you know, beaten, whipped, spit on, mocked, carried his cross out of the city to be crucified, hung naked. I mean, literally, they took his clothes away and gambled for them, hung naked in front of the crowd. Like, literally, by him all things are created, is what Paul says. So Jesus is not even just, like, he is God, and everything that exists came about because of him and through him. And, you know, humiliated, mocked, crown of thorns on his head, king of the Jews hanging over him, the whole nine yards, like, like he humbled himself to that point for you. Right? He humbled himself to that point so that Mark could have a relationship with Jesus. Right? So that Eric, you know, with all his horrible indulgences and and struggles with sin and everything else, I can be forgiven and made new. Like, that is, I mean, think about the stepping down involved in that. From being a man who, or being God, having angels sing worship over you and then nailed to a piece of wood. Naked. Spit on, mock, the whole nine yards. Jesus exemplifies humility in his life and in his death and the work he did. And all of this was out of submission to the Father. Um, did what the Father wanted. Out of love, actually, Paul tells us elsewhere that Christ was, or John tells us that Christ was obedient out of love for the Father. Like he loved his Father. He loves God the Father. And he's obedient because of that. And actually, you see that. I don't even tell my daughter to bring me coffee, but she does it because. She loves me, right? Um, I I wish I could use myself as an example. I can't even do that. Um, my my wife planned this big weekend away for us because I was I was tired and I was kind of worn out and I was sort of dragging myself through life. And she said, you know, we need to get away. And so it was a big surprise. She lined up this big weekend away. I, I assume because she loved me. Does that sound reasonable? Um, we act toward folks. Um, out of love, like we serve out of love when we do it best. Carly, who is one of the most amazing people I know in this life right now, um, how much traveling have you done in the last year for a baby? How, <laughs> how, much, how much has your apple cart been upset? Like how easy is life right now? For, for love of her wonderful, beautiful little girl, like everything has changed, Right? Are you angry you did it, Carly? Uh, Would you do it again? Why? (laughs) Out of God's love for us, right? Out of God's, I mean, just amazing love for us, he sent his son to die for us. To become low, to become a servant, to not to be served, but to serve is what Paul says. Or actually, Mark, um, we're going to jump over to Mark here. Um, and Jesus called them to him and said, so actually a little context, um, John and his brother come to Jesus and they're like, hey, when you're in heaven, can we sit on your right and left hand sides? Like, can we be in the top position in heaven? Like when we get there, can we be the ones that everybody looks up at you and they see us? And they're like, yeah, these guys are my right and left hand men. Um, they're asking for the most honorable position in all of heaven. Um, <laughs> and, and Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for, guys. Um, and the other disciples hear about it, and they get angry. They're like, and, and actually it's not clear why they're angry. It's possible that they were thinking, what a couple of jerks. Like, that's my spot. Or they might be mad because they asked first. 
Do you ever get that where you think, man, I want that, and somebody else asked before you, and it's kind of annoying because you wish you had first? My kids do that all the time, where one asks for something and the other doesn't get it, and they're mad at their, you know, sister's mad at her brother because he got something and she didn't, because he asked first. I wish I had asked first. Um, so the disciples are mad at, um, at the brothers, the sons of thunder, and, and Jesus calls them to end. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so amongst you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, so what what Jesus is saying here, I got, I got to look because my Greek is bad. I can't just rattle it off the cuff. Where are my notes at? I lost them. Um, the, he's using two very distinct words here. Now watch this. Um, diakon, diakonai diakonai um, is the word serve, right? And it actually refers to people who would wait tables, right? This is, this is the word you would use for anybody whose job it was. As everybody else was eating, this would be a, a servant in a household or a slave, and they would watch the people eating and they would say, oh, you need butter? I don't know that butter existed then. Um, you need more wine. You need more food. You need this. You need that. Oh, you know, like, and Jesus says, listen, I, I didn't come to wait tables, or I didn't come to be waited on, but to wait on, right? I didn't come to have everybody bow and scrape and meet my needs, but I came to meet your needs. I came to meet the needs of the folks that I encounter. And that's, you see, that's, I mean, that's how Jesus lived. Like, he lives his life going around and, and serving these people and teaching them and, you know, pointing them toward the gospel, pointing them toward God. And even sometimes in, in angry ways, like it's not always instant. Some of us, like, some of y'all have kids. Has any, have any of y'all ever had to spank your kids? Really? Is it just me? I'm like the one, yeah, me and, you and me were the mean ones. Um, but I spank my kids not because I like it. It's actually a lot more work to spank them. Um, I do it because I love them and I don't want them to like wreck their lives, right? Um, and so, you know, like Jesus would approach the Pharisees and call them out. I, he did it because, because he, he was serving them in a way. I mean, it doesn't seem like it at the time when God corrects us, but that is a service God does for us. It's a love action He does for us. Um, the the other word he uses there, like slave, is doulos, and it actually is a bond servant. It's somebody who owes somebody else money and becomes like gives up their rights in return for owing like a debt, and you basically work for the rest of your life owing this debt. And so Jesus is saying, listen, followers, my disciples, um, you need to serve, and if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, it's beyond just serving; it's slavery. It's slavery to the Father. It is giving up your rights in exchange, um, like, because you owe the Father, right? I don't know about you guys, but, like, I got an ocean of sin around me. Like, I am good at doing the wrong thing. If it was my hobby, I'd be in great, you know, be, be like a master. If I could do it for a living, I'd be rich. <laughs> um but Jesus paid for all of that, and I owe him a debt that I can never repay. I can never hope to repay, and I belong to Jesus because of that. I, I preach, I, I serve, I do my best, not because I want you guys to think how awesome I am, but because I want, 
I want to do what I can for Jesus because he loves me, right? I, uh, my, my wife does wonderful things for me frequently, and she doesn't do it because she has to, right? She does it because she loves me. Um, Titus, my beautiful little boy, didn't learn to sleep through the night until he was over two years old. Let me tell you, getting up at three in the morning to feed him, you know, it's like, you're a year and a half, can't you feed yourself? The can opener is right there. Just do it. <laughs> and and as much as I grumbled, as much as, you know, my wife didn't grumble because she's wonderful. She did a little. Um, we continue to do it because we love our son, right? Um, the the Eccles are doing that now for a brand new baby, right? Have you slept yet? <laughs> but we do it out of love. We do it because we love our children. We do it because this is what God calls us to. Service is a response to love, right? We don't claim our rights. We don't claim our, our, you know, well, you must serve me. That's not how love works. We serve because we love. Jesus served because he loves. We, and Paul tells us, have the same attitude. Imitate this. Be in this, this in your mindset. Mind you, because this isn't just do it because... Because that's law, right? Like, I have to serve because if I don't, God will get mad at me. It's, I serve because I love. Um, there are people, actually, Terry's not in the room, so I'm going to pick on him. Terry impresses me. He is a guy who will hop, like, out of whatever he's doing to help folks. Twyla, it's true, isn't it? He's a man who, like, out of love for the folks around him, will do just huge things. And service is, like, the heart of who this guy is, and he does it just just out of like this amazing heart that he has that's a reflection of who Jesus is. Um, and it's what, what we're commanded to do. Go out and do it. Jesus takes it to a whole other level in the book of John. This is at the Last Supper. So they're sitting around at the Last Supper. This is the ancient world where nobody owned cars and Nikes hadn't been invented yet, which is unfortunate. Um, everybody wore sandals. It was dusty because there was very little actual paving. And you got around by animals, right? And some of y'all are farmers and can tell me Animals have a habit. They leave things, right? Unless you diaper them, but I don't know anybody who does that. And so people would walk in dust and filth and yuckiness and, and sort of everything below your knees gets gross, right? I, uh, I remember the first time I, I ate, brought the kids to a farmer's house and some food hit the floor and Abby went to eat it and like, no! <laughs> you're eating anything off the floor from this part of the house because, like, we work with cows. You know, don't. You'll get poisoned. Um, so this is the world these folks live in. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. By the way, this is Jesus knowing that everything in creation belongs to him because the Father gave it to him, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. By the way, again, fully aware, he, God sent him. He's going back to God. He's at a whole other level than we are. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I've talked about this a bunch of times because it's one of my like top ten sections of the Scriptures, right? In the ancient world, the guy who washed feet of other people was the lowest servant in the house or the youngest son. I haven't convinced Titus to do it yet. 
Um, but it was the lowest person in the house. And in ancient literature, they made fun of these guys. There were jokes about them in ancient literature. Like, they are so maligned and made fun of. They are the lowest, lowest, lowest. And in Jewish culture, there's a whole other level here. It was the only thing. Like, you could not, if you were a master and you had disciples, like a rabbi, you couldn't have your, ra- your, your students wash your feet. You could make them run errands. You could make them wait tables on you. You could make them feed you. You could make them do all kinds of things. You could not make a student wash your feet. And there's an example, like all of these legal arguments in the Jewish world, as to whether or not a wife in obligation and in love to her husband could wash his feet as a way of showing her, her submission to him. Like, like they, they weren't sure that was legal. Like, do you understand how humiliating we're talking here? There's actually a court case, a Jewish court case, the Sanhedrin decided that, like, where a mom sued her son for the right to wash his feet. Like, isn't that crazy? But, like, I want to, I'm offering all of this as context to understand we don't have anything quite at that level in our culture. Do you understand me? Nothing. This is the lowest, lowest, lowest thing that he could do. He gets up. He assumes the the humiliating stance of washing feet. Peter stops him and says, no, you can't wash my feet. And he still, he says, listen, if you don't let me wash you, you have no place in my kingdom. If I can't serve you, you don't belong to me. He washed Judas's feet. Judas is about to sell him. Sell him to be crucified. And he washed Judas's feet. Right? I mean, if there's an enemy in the world, Judas is the guy, right? Then he washed Judas' feet. Um, and when he gets done, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place at the table, his place, sorry, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Oh, thank you, Jess. <laughs> you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Um, if... I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You ought, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly. By the way, when you see truly, truly, it's not that he's stuttering. In the Jewish, like, way of speaking, this would be, uh, Aramaic. Um, repeating, like, truly, truly means exclamation point. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, sometimes we read that, blessed are you if you do them. And it's like, oh, well, that's like the optional extra on the car, right? Anybody ever buy a car from like a dealership? Like somebody richer than me? Um, and you go in and they're like, would you like air conditioning? Yeah, I think that'd be good. What about the leather seats? That is a nice extra, but I don't want to pay the extra $20,000 for that. Um, like sometimes we look at service as though like, oh, I'm blessed if I do it, but if I don't, I'll still get into heaven and it's just not as good. Actually, he's talking about wisdom here, right? Because that's a phrase you see in the Old Testament. Blessed are, you know, blessed are you. Well, it's actually Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the ways of the wicked, uh, nor stands in the ways of the sinner or sits in the presence of scoffers. Like that blessed means you are wise and you are walking in God's presence and you are moving into right relationship with God if you do the same thing. The objective of the Christian life is to be in right relationship with God, right? My objective as a husband is to be in right relationship with my wife, right? My objective as a father is to raise my children right so they're in relationship with God, but to be in right relationship with my kids. So Abby keeps bringing me coffee until I'm old. I doubt it's going to work, but I'm trying. (laughs) Um, 
And he says, listen, I humiliated myself, even though I'm your teacher and I'm Lord, do the same thing. Serve each other to the point of humiliation. Treat each other as though you're better, as though like, like these people are the best people in the world. By the way, I have been in churches where people fight over their rights and there is no harmony or joy and it doesn't look like Jesus. Anybody ever seen that? Right? And it's actually kind of the attitude of the church in like modern culture. You're violating my rights. I'm not saying we should be stepped on, but you know what? We should serve the people around us, and we should serve our communities, and we should serve the people nobody wants to serve. And we should love the people who are like mistreating us. Which, by the way, uh, I pulled this out because I knew I was going to get to it eventually, and it's my rabbit trail, but I planned it. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on your right cheek, Turn to him the other. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. Um, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. I had a young man years ago, hated God. I worked, was, he was crazy. It was in the mental health facility I worked at. And I spent years trying to get this kid to, like, like show up to Bible study. Because I ran, I was a chaplain. I ran Bible studies in this mental health facility. And this kid, he hated God. Hated God. I, you know, I would talk to him and he would, like, like so he, for a while he would spit whenever he would mention God. Like, he hated God. And I, I watched a bunch of, like, believers serve this guy and love him. One day I was there at night. I was working on uh, support and this kid is, his, I can't give you his name. That would be a violation of that rule. Um, but he, uh, he was there late at night one night. I came in because he was trying to fight another kid in the program because he was crazy. Um, and I had developed a good relationship with him. As long as we didn't talk about Jesus, we were okay. And I, I went, walked up to him thinking I would talk him out of being in this fight. And he has two real big guys standing around him. And as I'm approaching, he jumps and tries to get by one of them and throw a punch. And they're tangling and wrestling. And I, 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 it was all a real big blur because I wasn't expecting it. All I know is that everybody was on the ground a minute later. And I was like standing there and the side of my face hurt. <laughs> and I sort of went for a walk and thought about it. And I was like, that kid just punched me in the face. Like, he was trying to punch the other guy, and as he went by, he clocked me, and he clocked me pretty good. Um, and I went for a walk, and I spent a little bit of time praying, and I went back, and I sat down in his room, and he's laying on his bed, and he's pouting and not talking. And I sat there, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I, uh, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. I love you, man. I was like, you just punched me in the face. I'm like, next time, can you warn me? If you need to punch me in the face because that's what you need to do, just tell me so I got a little bit of warning. But it's all right. I still love you, and I pray for you every day, and I'll pray twice as long tomorrow. It's all right. I love you. Just, just warn me next time. And he got up, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to punch you. I wasn't trying to punch you. I was trying to punch the other guy. <laughs> and he sat there, and I was like, it's all right. If that's what has to happen because I love you, that's fine. Just warn me, right? And he, he laid down, and he didn't say anything else to me. And then the next day, he showed up to Bible study that I was running with his group. And then he showed up again the next week. And I, he didn't talk. The first time he was there, he was uncomfortably paced and he was irritated. <laughs> and then the second time he sat there and he was irritated, but he answered some of my questions and talked a little bit. And I talked to him afterwards and he said, you know what? 
I, uh, I hit you. Most of the time when I hit people, they don't want to have anything to do with me. He's like, I, I had to, I felt so bad. I had to make it right. And, and I couldn't. So I, I spent my night praying. And, and I figured I probably have to start dealing with God now. And, and I actually baptized that kid like six months later. Um, but it wasn't me, it was Jesus. Um, we serve to the point of humiliation because this is what Jesus did. We love to the point of like excess and ridiculousness because this is what Jesus did. Um, we wait tables even if we're the boss, right? We scrub toilets even though people should be scrubbing our toilets or so we think, right? The kingdom of God isn't accomplished through power. It's not accomplished through strength. It's not accomplished through political might. It's not accomplished through any of that stuff. It is accomplished through submission to Christ and loving Jesus and loving our neighbors and serving. You want to change the world? That is the way to do it. You serve people around you and you show them Jesus and you will change people's lives. It is the truth of it. And you do it from a heart that loves Jesus and you're happy to do it. People see that. I swear to you, I, when I worked in the home, kids knew who didn't want to be there. It's true. And they gave those guys the worst days ever until they quit. Um, the guys who loved them, the guys who were tough on them sometimes, but loved them, they knew, they knew what was going on there. i got two more verses. I'm going to try and get through them quick. I'm sorry if I'm going long. Um, my children, this is John writing. John was Jesus' closest friend, the disciple that Jesus loved, right? My children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I like that. I've never used that before in a conversation. Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, he is the propitiation for our sins, which is a big word, propitiation. It means that God looked at Jesus and he saw our sins, and he was like sort of the payment for it. Um, he was the payment for our sins, and not only for ours. Am I going too long? <laughs> um, he is a propitiation for our sin, and not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, that we know that we have come to know him if we keep our commands, his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know, and I underlined it and highlighted it and everything else, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So like John is saying, listen, you want to prove that you love Jesus? Be like him, right? Thomas Kempis wrote a book, The 